0: A copy of God's Word and join me in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, the last two verses of John 20, uh, we understand why John writes this gospel under divine inspiration of the Spirit of God. He wrote in John chapter 20 and verse 30, he said, And many other signs truly did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The reason that John's gospel was written, John says it, unlike any writer that has said it in any other gospel, John gives you the reason he wrote this, is that you might believe, that I might believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. The devil believes, but there's one thing to believe, but then you must believe in the name that's above every name, the Son of God, that he is the Son of God, not one of the sons of God. Not, not these other religions teach that he's a, a Son of God. No, no, he is the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through his name, eternal life, eternal life. Then John goes to the last chapter, which is my favorite chapter in the whole gospel of John, the last and final chapter. Now we'll, we'll have, after this message, we'll have three more messages in John's gospel before we conclude this book. It'll be A year and nine months going verse by verse, but I'm thankful for what the Lord has done. Now I want to bring you back just a little bit. After Jesus had, had rose from the dead, he appeared at least six different times in our text in and around Jerusalem. Afterwards, the disciples returned to Galilee and still uncertain, still unsure about what their future would be. And just think about what they've experienced over these last few weeks. They experienced the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Remember in John 12, Jesus rode in on the back of a donkey and they were waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They thought that Jesus was there to conquer Rome and, and uh, take them uh, to another level as far as a kingdom. They did not know that he was there to be crucified and to be the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus rode in and, and the disciples were there for that. The disciples were there for a supper in an upper room. And it was filled with mysterious actions and and words that Jesus said, and the disciples did not quite understand. Uh, everything that was going on there, and then there was a, a surprise of a late garden arrest. You remember when Jesus was in the garden uh, and he was uh, arrested uh, by the temple guards. They came and arrested Jesus. Then there was the betrayal of a closest friend, Judas. Judas was one of the twelve inner disciples, and he uh, was arrested, or rather he he uh, denied the Lord and he betrayed the lord and the disciples they they witnessed this then there 's the tri- Trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember, they had the trial and it was unjust. Three civil trials and then three more spiritual trials. And they, they tried him unjustly and then they crucify Jesus and they put him on a cross and, and it's brutal and marred. His visage was more marred than any other man, the Bible says in Isaiah. Then they, uh, we see that he's buried quickly off the cross, uh, two men by the name of Joseph and Nicodemus. They take his body down and they bury him in this tomb that was prepared for a rich man. But Then there's the resurrection. And an appearance in the garden around the tomb. And an appearance in an upper room. And, and, and there's things that the disciples don't quite understand about why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And then there's a waiting time. The disciples are waiting. There's a a limbo time, if you will, and they don't really know what the next step is. And so Peter, in our text, he goes back to the familiar. I want to just preach just a little bit this morning on fishing 101. Going back to fishing 101. Let's look in our text in verse number 1. The Bible says, after these things... Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on the wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter, he's tired of waiting. Simon's tired of sitting around twiddling his thumbs. What's Jesus going to do? So Simon Peter, he speaks up, and he saith unto them, I go fishing." And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Nothing. Zilch. Zero. Empty. Nothing. I just want to give you some thoughts this morning out of our text on John 21. Pray with me if you would, Heavenly Father. We do ask that you would help us in this hour, Lord. We need your touch. We need your power. I cannot preach this on my own. I need, uh, Lord, your help from the supernatural, Lord. I pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. If you don't mind, I'm up here dying in this rapture hole, is beaming down on me, and uh, so I'm going to uh, preach, if you don't mind. Um, This morning Uh, look, Look at the first observation I find in verses 1, 2, and 3 Jesus again shows himself The disciples And Simon Peter And there's another there Thomas He's called Didymus Which is twin and then there's Nathanael of Canaan, so Nathanael's there. And then there's two others, James and John, the son of Zebedee. And then there's two other disciples that, that go unnamed. Some believe that this could have been some of the 12 disciples or it could have been two other disciples outside of the, the disciple band that maybe were just followers of Christ and they happen to be on this fishing trip. And Simon looks at them and says, I go a-fishing. The first observation that I see is the Lord is still using simple places to teach special lessons. I I love the fact that Peter could not just sit idle. I love the fact that Peter had to be doing something. And Peter looks around at the other disciples and said, fellas, listen, I know that we're kind of confused as to what's going on. I know that we don't quite know what the next step is in the journey, but I know that I love to fish. And so Peter uh, goes back to what he knows the most, and that is fishing. He loves to fish. How many of you men in here love to fish. Raise your hand. You love to fish? Good. I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you. Uh, How many of you women in here love to fish? Raise your hand. You love to fish? There's more women that love to fish than men. Good grief. How do you know you're in 2023? (laughs) Confusing days. Good grief and mercy. I I don't know. I want my glasses maybe. Can I do that again? How many of you men love, you you like to fish, you like to fish, raise your hand, you like, raise it up high, good, yeah, okay, all right, how many of you went, don't lie, if you just want to beat the men, I'm not saying how many of you like to eat fish, how many of you like to fish, you like to fish, raise your hand ladies, I'm telling you, it's a good number of ladies, maybe a few more men, but I am disappointed, (laughs) I am encouraged that we have some ladies that know how to fish though, that is a blessing, uh, imagine though going to the familiar place peter is a fisherman peter is and these some of these other disciples this was what they did for a living and as soon as they don't understand what jesus is doing they go back to that which is familiar a common place Oh, there's nothing like a commonplace, a peaceful boat on a, on a lake somewhere or a side of a stream somewhere where the brook is running. And you hear that water flowing down those rocks. I, I'm not a deep sea fisherman. I've done it a few times. I'm not even a lake fisherman on a boat, so to speak, on a big body of water. Uh, though that's fun and I've done it. And when the bass are biting, it's great. I am more of a stream fisherman. I like to go on a river, a small river or a stream, and I like to throw a fly rod in, and I like to catch some trout because they are mighty fine eating. I mean, good, and I love that. It's a common place. It's not, a, it's not such a, a place where it's extravagant. Some of those places you'll, you'll fish, you'll, you'll be mesmerized by the beauty. Sometimes it's not just a little small pond. There's really nothing special about it. It's just a place, but it's a common place. Can I ask you uh, this morning, where's the common place in your life? You say, well, pastor, what do you mean? I'm talking about a common place where you're at. That's about your daily job. These men were fishermen. This is what they did before they met Jesus. They fished every day. They fished for a living. This was a common walk of life. This was a common place in their life. And so they go back to that which is common. And the Lord is still using these simple places to teach special lessons. He had a lesson for the disciples. They didn't know it, but they're going back to school. They thought they were just going to go catch some fish, but they didn't know the teacher was going to show up in just a little bit, and he was going to teach them a lesson, not just about fishing, but about him. Have you ever been to school where God has brought you to school in your life? Maybe it's the school. Maybe it's the school of trials. You know what? I'll I'll be honest with you. When God brings you through those schools in your life or those simple places, God has a lesson. There's a reason. You know this, good and well, church. Y'all know there is no accident with the Lord. Everything has a divine purpose. God is leading you. You say, well, how in the world did I end up here? How in the world did I just... Now, let me tell you something. You might think that, but God has a plan. Are you listening? Are you aware? God was going to teach... Take these disciples and he's going to teach them a lesson. We see this in the life of Peter. Here's the second observation I have and I'm hastening. The risen Lord is still taking us to these places of great confidence to teach us our need for total dependence. Look look at the last part of verse number 3. These expert fishermen... These men that have caught thousands of fish, notice what happens in verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing, and they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Let me just say this, those of you that love to fish, a bad day is when you come back empty-handed. Can I get an amen? And these, I'll tell you another thing. It's one thing for you to say, well, I don't fish that much. And you go out there and you're probably like, well, if I was an expert fisherman and I knew what lure to roll uh, roll in or or throw in, if I knew what fly to throw out, I probably would have caught more. But no, 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 no. These men knew that water. Every square inch of that water, Peter and these men had been on before they met Jesus. They knew that sea. And for them to come back empty-handed was a humbling thing for them. See, it's often in our confidence where we think, oh boy, I'll tell you one thing, Jesus. I, I really don't need you here because I've got this all figured out. And that's where often he will meet us at to show us show us that we don't have it all figured out. We think we can do things in the flesh. We think that we can preach the messages in the flesh, that we can, that we can sing the songs in the flesh. You know what we, we think we are, church? We think we're a self-made man. Let me, tell you, let me tell you something dangerous in society today is all this self-made self-confidence. I'm not saying that you don't have confidence and you just walk around with your head down. I'm talking about you have confidence in that old sorry flesh. There is no self-made man Oh, there's no such thing as a self-made man. We have all been taught by somebody. We've all been led by somebody. And Jesus is showing these disciples, hey, you need to take your confidence out of yourself and put it in me. Oh, we get so caught up in this self-made image. Uh, I read a survey recently, some time ago, about uh, uh, these preschoolers, these administrators, and parents, and child development specialists. Here's what they were asked. What is the most important thing for a child to learn in preschool? 34% of the preschool teachers said self-reliance and self-confidence. I'm talking about preschoolers. We want to instill in them that they have self-confidence and they are self-made. You know what? Only 5% of preschool administrators and teachers said the most important thing you can teach a toddler or a child is sympathy, empathy, and concern for others. And we wonder why we have situations today where we have a society that feels entitled, that feels like they can do it all, and feels like, hey, let me say this. We have been taught that it's all about us. We have lots of confidence, lots of confidence, and that's why people won't listen to nothing. They won't listen to nothing. I'll have people call sometimes, and I love you. I love you to death. But I'll have people call and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. What do you need to talk about? Let's talk. Let's meet, or let's talk on the phone, however you want to do it. And they'll start telling me problems and problems. And listen listen to me. Just the week before, I preached on their problem. And guess what? You say, well, Pastor, they must not have been here. No, no, they were here. But they're not listening. They're here. I mean, there's some of you, I'm looking at you and your God-given eyeballs, and there's nobody home. <laughs> some of you catch up on sleep, but you're not listening. And by the way, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, it's like I was preaching one time in a youth service and uh, years ago. I was a teen pastor for many years, and I was preaching, and there's this boy sitting beside his brother. I'm talking about snoring logs. Just head cocked back, mouth open like that. And I said, I'm preaching. And it just annoyed me because he was loud. Everybody's kind of laughing. I said, hey. I said, wake your brother up. And he said, you wake him up. You put him to sleep. <laughs> right in the middle. You know what I did? I just left him alone. I said, sleep on, buddy. I guess I did put him to sleep. Not listening. A lot of people just don't listen. And these disciples, they they were self Made men. Oh, you can imagine how humbled and devastated they were, these fishermen out on the, on the water and they're toiling and, and they're throwing that net and they kept throwing that net out every time and nothing was coming back. And I'm sure James and John looked at Peter and they're kind of throwing their arms. Oh, well, man, uh, this is weird. We're not catching fish. I want you to notice the next thing in our text in John 21. Look at verse 4. But when the morning was now come, so they did this all night. And when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. No. Can I say the third observation is this, the New Testament disciples are still learning that serving in the energy of the flesh produces empty nets. Zero. You notice when Jesus was out there on the shore and he said, hey disciples, do you have any meat? Have you caught anything? That's what Jesus is asking. Have you caught any fish yet? They didn't say, not yet. We've had a few good bites. They said no. That's a frustrating answer. That's an answer that says, no. You talk to a hunter. Uh, he, a hunter goes out several days, freezes to death. And he's, he's, he's sitting out there. Man, I mean, he is cold and he's been watching and he's been out there for hours and hours. And you ask him, hey, man, did you see anything? No. Did you hear anything? No. You get a, fish, a fisherman out there. Hey, did you get him? No. Why? Because they're frustrated. This is a frustrated answer. And what's Jesus doing? He's proving to them. Jesus knew, by the way, listen. Jesus knew that they had not caught anything. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 4 when when Cain slew Abel, and, and the Lord asked Cain where was his brother, he knew where Abel was. Do you remember when God was walking and he would meet Adam in the morning and and would fellowship with Adam and Eve but but the time the fellowship was broken and sin and all that and he was calling for Adam. Where Where was Adam? Adam! He knew where Adam was. And when our Lord was calling from the shore saying, hey boys, have you caught anything? Do you have any meat? He knew. No. What was the point proven? The point was we can't do anything in the energy of the flesh and produce spiritual results. I have a great friend, Ron Lynch. Ron's a, a, I call him every so, some of you are familiar. Of course, he preaches here. Ron, he'll be here next year. Ron's an outstanding preacher. Ron's an outstanding friend. And I called Ron and I said, Ron, a few weeks ago, we were just talking about certain things, just talking. And, 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 and Ron said to me something interesting, because he, he has that, death, uh, uh, that ministry where he preaches out of Romans 6 and John 12, and he preaches out of Galatians 1 about death to self, dying to self. And he said, Steve, 90% of what you guys, you young pastors can do, you can do in the energy of the flesh and succeed. He said, but it's not spiritual. It's not spiritual you're not going to have the power of God resting on your life because you're working in the energy of the flesh. Church, look at me. Anybody can come up with a message. Anybody can get up here and read some scripture and maybe give you a few points and you walk away and say, oh, that was good, or wow, thank the Lord. Listen, but there's only a few men that can preach with the anointing and the power of God on their life. Because they have died to self. They have died to the applause of men. They have died to the applause of of man. And they have died to what other men may think. And what God thinks. They want the spirit filled life. They have been broken. They have been used of God. And the disciples were being brought back to school. Being taught a lesson. About needing Christ. Here is the fourth observation this morning is following the risen lord will often move us from the familiar to the unfamiliar following the lord will often move us from the familiar to the unfamiliar see this fishing expedition in john 21 it's a refresher course it's something that occurred years earlier if you would take your bibles if you have your bibles this morning turn with me to luke chapter five can i show you something luke chapter five this happened early in the lord's ministry Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse number 1, Luke's gospel. The Bible says in Luke 5 and verse number 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret, which is the, uh, the Galilean Sea. Saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into the one of the ships, and it was Simon's, and he prayed him or begged him or pleaded with him that he would thrust it out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So Jesus, get this in your mind, the crowd, y'all are the crowd. And, and the reason we have a platform and a stage is to separate me a little bit from y'all and raise it up so you can see me easily. Jesus is doing the exact same thing. The crowd's coming at him. And they would throng him. They would push on him. It was actually an unsafe situation. And so what Jesus did is he pushed away a little bit from the... the, got out on a boat, pushed it out, Simon's boat, and preached to them the word of God in a little distance so that all could hear and see. After the invitations given, look with me in verse number 5. Or in verse number uh, 3, rather, or 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw, or for some fish. Let them down. See what's going to happen. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled, we've worked all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. That's a great example for us. Simon said, we've done it our way all night, Lord. We have worked, we've labored, we've been out here all night. But because you said, we'll do it. But I can tell you, Lord, we've done it. Now look at verse 6. And when they had done this, this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. There was so many fish in their nets. Now get this in your mind. Fishermen in the Bible days did not use rods like we have here they had nets, now not like this Hobby Lobby net right here, that wouldn't catch a minter I don't think, but uh, but much sturdier net and had some weights on it that would. they could throw it out and, and it, would, it would be a circular motion. When I was in Israel this past January, uh, we were on a, a boat in the Sea of Galilee and exactly where all this would have taken place and the... God had a net on the side of the boat because it's a real fisherman boat and they took it and threw it out like they would have in Bible days and it's a big circle, huge net. And at the end of this net, they have two strings and what they do is they keep those strings on the boat and they draw them in and that's how it would capture the fish. It's really an interesting thing. That's exactly how it would been. Matter of fact, in Egypt 2,000 years ago, they found a real biblical net still intact uh, from 2000, It was the uh, 1980s. They found a 2,000-year-old net that was still intact that would have been used in biblical times. And it was very much described as even our modern-day nets. So these nets were for catching multitudes of fish, but the fish net broke. Now notice verse 7. And they beckoned unto their partners. They, they begged them, which were in another ship close by, and that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ship's so that they begin to sink. There's so much fish in these boats that the boats are like this. They're they're about to go under. And notice what Peter says in verse 8. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Lord, it's so much easier to catch fish with you Lord, why am I over here toiling and rowing and working and doing it all in the energy of the flesh when I could just have you? I could just have you. and Look, our boats are about to go under because of the, of the fish that we've caught. Verse 9, For he was astonished all that were with him at the draught, at the magnitude, at the size of the fishes that, which they had taken. Now notice what happens on verse 10. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon. So the other disciples were there. And Jesus said to Simon, fear not. Listen, church, that is an interesting thing to say in the midst of catching a bunch of fish. Fear not. Why would Jesus say, don't fear? Don't, uh, Don't be afraid. Here's why he said, don't be afraid. Fear not, verse 10 from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Boys, right now you're catching fish, but my vision for you is not to catch fish. My vision for you is to catch men. Fear not. Matthew, you're going to Europe. Thomas, I'm going to send you to India. Peter, you'll die for me. See, once we catch a fish, we fillet that fish and we consume that fish, that fish, is, it's over and for that fish. I mean, really, it's over for us. And we had a good meal and it's done. We fed ourselves, I guess you could say. But when we catch a man, look at me. When we catch a man for Christ, they only live forever. It's eternal. The trophies that we have on this earth, the things that we're trying to reel in, the the stuff we're trying to catch in the net, you know what, all of that stuff will just fade away. But when we catch men, fear not. I'm going to give you something in the book of Acts, and it's going to help you. Fear not. You're going to be fit. And by the way, look at what they did in verse 11. And they and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. Boy, they knew a lot about fish. But fishing for fish is a lot different than fishing for people. For one thing, all the work lakeside fishing is, is, is in the fishing. Once you have caught your fish, you're finished. The fish dies, but when you catch people... And they're caught with truth. They do not die. They come to life. Here's the fifth observation. New Testament disciples are still discovering special surprises behind doorways labeled obedience. Now, it is possible. Church, look at me. It is possible that when Jesus said, cast your nets on the right side, that Peter could have looked at this man that yet had, had not quite been identified as the Lord just yet, They could have said, no, we're not doing that. But they were obedient. Have you ever been surprised by God? Look at what happens here in verse 6 of John 21. And He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. The right side. Boys, you've been on the left side of the ship. Now we want you to cast it on the right side. The left side of this ship would have been Capernaum, would have been Magdala, would have been where the Jews, the Jewish towns and villages on the left side. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to take it from the left side and I want you to throw the, the net on the right side of the ship facing Decapolis, Gadara, the Golan Heights, where all the Greeks lived and the Gentiles. He came unto his own and his own received him not. I'm going to the Gentiles with the gospel. I'm going to the world. And Peter, I want you to be... By the way, the number of fish that's caught in our text is 153. At that time that Jesus was preaching, and at that time, the disciples, there was 153 nations... And what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, I want you to take it from, from the, just the Gospels to the Jews and the signs, and I want you to throw that net on the other side to the Gentiles because I want to use you in the day of Pentecost, and you're going to be preaching in Jerusalem, and there'll be 153 nations represented when you preach. God had a plan for His disciples. And it's labeled obedience. Just do what he says. Church, I I can't, can't expound on that enough. Hey, there is no debate. There is no debate at all. If God said it, we must do it. I've seen quotes say, hey, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it. There is no whether I believe it or not. God tells us to do something, we must do it. Let me say this sixth observation about our text is this. New Testament disciples are still recognizing that the Lord's directions will always be accompanied by His provisions. Where the Lord directs you, He develops you. Where the Lord calls you, He guarantees to enable you. If you want to fish... Do not ever forget that he knows where the fish are. He knows what bait to use. He knows what line that you must use. He knows what rod and reel you got to use or what net you use and what part of the sea you got to be in. Why? Because he is in charge. Listen, we must understand that he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He's not going to send you somewhere and leave you. He's not going to tell you to do something and then not enable you. We ought to go out and we ought to have the power of God on us and have the confidence in the Lord Jesus to know that he is there with us and he's promised to never forsake us and to never leave us. Here's the seventh observation, and I'm through, about our text. The Lord is still revealing his willingness to forgive and provide second and third chances. Aren't you thankful for that? Look at our text with, if you would. They catch the fish. The Bible says in verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Oh John, says Peter. That ain't just a guy over there on the shore. That is the Lord. And as soon as Peter realizes this is the Lord. Peter gets his outer coat. He wasn't completely naked. Uh, sometimes we we think that in our mind because the Bible says he's naked. Uh, he he had an undergarment on. He would have had a fisherman coat on. I mean, I you know I'm not trying to be but, but a naked man in a boat with other men. That's weird. It would have been weird in Bible days, but it would have is you know it's not so much weird today as far as the way society is, but it's certainly weird uh, in Bible days. Peter would have had girded himself with more of an undergarment, would have been girded, wrapped around his waist, tucked between his legs, he would have been girded and, and maybe no shirt on. And Peter, uh, realizing that it's the Lord, jumps into the water, and here's what I believe, grabbing his coat, put, trying to put it on in water. You ever tried to put clothes on in water? Uh, that's almost impossible. Swimming toward Jesus. He's excited. Look at verse 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. I mean, they have a, just a whole host of fish. And as soon as they were come to land, I want you to see this, because i would never really seen this before until just studying this out. As soon as these ships and these disciples come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. And fish laid there on. Now, hold on a second. The fish hadn't arrived ashore yet. The disciples hadn't made it ashore yet until right now. And as soon as they get there, there's coals, fish cooking, you can smell it, bread, and Jesus. Where'd the coals come from? Where'd the fire come from? Where'd the fish come from? Did Jesus catch fish? Did Jesus Go cook some bread and bake some bread and, and have it there for no, no, no. Right behind him was where he fed 5,000 two loaves and fish. Had 12 baskets left over. Jesus can make whatever he wants to out of nothing. And Jesus has coals of fire over here, warming himself, cooking the, the meal. And he's inviting Peter over. And later, Jesus says in the text, Come and dine, verse 12. Hey, boys, it's time for breakfast. Now, hold on a second. Just three chapters earlier, Peter is warming himself by a fire. Peter is warming himself by the coals of a fire. And he looks at that girl and looks at those around him and he says, I, I don't know that man. I'm not one of them disciples. He does it three times. And while Peter is warming himself by a fire denying the Lord, Jesus has a fire over here inviting the disciples saying, "Come over here, boys." I know it's been a rough few weeks for you. But I love you. I've not given up on you. Aren't you thankful that when people will give up on you, the Lord never gives up? Come and eat. Hey, these fish that are laying there, you know what the Lord's saying? I'm not relying on humanity to provide a, a meal in the wilderness. I'm not going to provide on human means to make a way. Why? Because the Lord can do whatever. You notice right here, the Lord doesn't even, every time the Lord was with his disciples, he gave thanks before he ate, but he didn't give thanks here. Why? Because he was the one that provided it. Jesus provided this meal and said, boys, come and dine. Hey, I don't know what you've done in your You've been failures some, and boys, you've denied me. Some of you have ran from me. Some of you have denied me. Some of you have even betrayed. Boys, it's been a pretty rough few weeks and days for you, but fellas, I just want to let you know I have a special plan for each of you. And I love you, and this is for you. Now, there's a conversation between Jesus and Peter that takes place that we'll get to next week. But maybe ask yourself this question this morning. Am I, listen church, look at me. Am I fishing for men? Luke 5, they left all. They forsook all. I believe this. Uh, Yesterday we had Hank Parker here. Hank showed up, him and his wife and his former pastor and several friends. And Hank said, uh, Pastor, do you mind if we go into a side room and pray? before I speak. And I said, sure, I'd love that. So me and him and his former pastor stepped inside a room and we prayed. And while we were praying, I prayed and his pastor prayed. And Hank was just over there. I could hear him wiping tears. I mean, this man was genuine. But after we prayed, he said, Steve, he said, I'm not invited to churches that often like you would think anymore. He said, I used to do a lot of churches. He said, I'm not invited anymore. And I said, Hank, why is that? He says, because most churches are not interested in saving people. He said, I used to go to churches all over. I was invited to all kinds of things. He said, but you know what? Churches, for the most part, don't call that much anymore anymore. He said, I'll have all kinds of different organizations call me and they'll do different things, do a, do a fishing uh, thing with Hank Parker. And he said, they'll raffle something off and, and, and people will bid a bunch of money. And he said, I'll do some of that for benefiting like FCA and different things like that. He said, but honestly, just local churches trying to reach their community with the gospel. He said, nobody calls much anymore because they're not interested in throwing the net out and catching men. Church, listen, the day we stop throwing the net out and catching men is the day God's power and presence will come off this church. God's presence and power will come off this church when we stop caring about the souls of men. Uh, Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, we are running out of time. And some of you in here that's playing church... You come ever so often and you're sleeping in on Sundays and going to... I had a dream last night that one of our members woke up. I know, this is crazy. I'm telling you, hand on the Bible. Somebody woke up and said, we're going to the lake on Sunday morning. I woke up. I was mad as a hornet. And I realized it was a dream and I went back to sleep. I'm telling you, we need to get back in this thing and realize that we're running out of time that Jesus is coming back and that we need to tell boys and girls and men and women about Christ. I know it's not popular. Can I say this? I'll go on the record and say, hey, when we stop having invitations, churches are even doing away with invitations. Listen to me. How in the world do we preach a message and say, come to Christ, and then tell them, well, don't come today, though? Or call us if you want to talk to us. Listen, I'm all about you not not playing on your emotions and trying to get you all stirred up about emotions, but can I tell you something? Listen to me. The day we stop inviting people to come to Christ is a day that God will stop blessing this church like He has been. We need to be drawing sinners to Christ. I know the Spirit of God does the drawing, but we need to be doing the inviting. Invite folks to Christ. There's a bunch of dead churches around here. I'm not trying to lift, I'm not trying to exalt Bible Baptist Church. You understand that. But there's a bunch of churches around here that, that will feed you a life lesson. They'll give you a life lesson on Sunday. We don't need life lessons. How in the world can you have a life lesson without the gospel? Oh, some of you looking at me. I can't use some of the ones because people's criticizing about me using screen doors on a submarine. I need to come up with some new ones. That's, listen, that is the look I get. That's the look I get. When you start preaching passionately about Jesus Christ saving souls and coming back, and some people just back here just look. Hey, you realize, you realize that God's blessings on this church is not because we have a bunch of paved parking lots and big buildings and a bunch of money in the bank. The reason God has blessed this church is because people are getting saved. What's about to happen over there in that babstery that we bought at the tractor supply? Hank asked me, where do y'all baptize people? And I said, we got a tractor supply cattle trough. I was so excited when we bought this building. We'd never had a babstery before. And, and, and man, we're purchasing this building about a year and a half ago or so. And, and I'm, I could not wait to break in. I could not wait to just look and see what was in here. And so one day I came up here and uh, the realtor showed us around. And I said, hey, I got one question. Where's the baptistry? He said, let me show you. And he came around the side, and there it was. About that tall. Had a little bowl on top. And I said, that ain't going to (laughs) do. Not here. (laughs) Well, we got to go back. Well, Let me tell you this, though. It doesn't matter how big your buildings are and how nice, how how this and that, and how many this and all. Listen, what matters is, what are you doing for the kingdom? Are people coming to Christ Is the Word being preached? Are folks being baptized? And let me just say, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, I'm throwing out the net this morning. I'm unapologetic about it. Your time's coming. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, what? The judgment. You want to die one time on this life. We don't know when it is. You say, well, I'm, I'm perfect. No, you're not. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play games with God. I'd say, Lord, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. The word of God has been preached. Hey, Jesus Christ loves me. He died for me. He forgave me. He's the son of God. He wants to save my soul. Here it is, Lord. You say, well, pastor, I've been in this church for years. Don't matter. Get saved. Get saved. Let's close eyes. Right